what lies behind us and what lies before us are small matters compared to what lies within us. Hello and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 21. This week, we had a chat with a chap called Mike Broderick. Now, Mike is a US-born and UK-based entrepreneur who does voiceovers and voice acting. We had a great conversation, and whilst Mike talks about the challenges that he faces, in particular in regard to voiceover, it opens up into a conversation about some pressures that we can all relate to, how he solves them, and there's some amazingly open and touching stuff there about Mike's personal challenges with disability, with some really inspirational thoughts about frame of mind, being positive, and we end with some practical tips that we can all take something from. It was a smashing conversation, and of course, we started by talking about his socks. And we've already established that Mike has black socks on, and uh, but they have a bit of a green heel, so I, I detect there's a little bit of a, a flash of um, rebelliousness there. He just wants to keep it to himself. Yeah, it's, it's hidden rebellion, but it's there. <laughs> uh, and Mike is a professional voiceover artist, and he is the second of, of two professional voiceover artists that we've had on the podcast now. I don't actively only seek out voiceover people and comedians for my... But, uh, Mike, welcome to Sharp. It's really, really good to have you. I'm really, really pleased that you're able to join us. And uh, I know you've had a busy, busy day. How has your day been today? What's happened in your day today? Well, actually, my, my day was a bit strange today, really, because um, I did more errands today than I did actual work. And... Uh, Went out on my mobility scooter. I've got uh, cerebral palsy and I walk on crutches, but I use a scooter to get around uh, West Mersey Island, a little island off of uh, Essex where I live, and uh, went out as the rain was coming down really heavily, and I see this white van man coming down at speed, kind of in my direction, and this guy went out of his way to hit the pothole that's right on the edge of the road that was full of water and hammered me. So I, got, so I got really wet and then went down to the co-op and got further wet and came back and had a change. And it was a really strange day. I think I got one audition in today, but you have some days like that sometimes. And otherwise, it's good to talk to you, Steve. I'm really happy to be on the podcast. I'm a big fan. Oh, brilliant. I listened to, I've listened to most of the episodes. Thank you. We, I'll, I'll cut out that bit where yeah. you said that you were a big fan. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so you do voiceovers and we talked to Mel before yes. who we both know and, and hooked up together through, uh, the, the same, uh, person that got us into it. But for those people that either haven't, haven't, uh, heard Mel's interview or, or don't understand the world of voiceovers, what is doing voiceovers? Well, it's, you know, if you listen to a commercial or a movie trailer or a video on YouTube, and you've got someone speaking in the background, uh, kind of describing the situation or trying to tell you about a product um, and using their voice to do it. That is a voiceover artist. And it's quite a popular field at the moment for people to get into. I think I heard that there's somewhere around a million voiceover artists in the United wow. States. Don't know how many how, how many there are here in the UK, but it seems like every time you turn around, somebody else is getting in and uh, and joining a profession, which is a good thing, I think, because there's the, there there is a lot of work to go around. But it's a part of the internet internet revolution, I think, that we're all able to 
set up studios now in our homes. Uh, it's pretty inexpensive, all things considered, compared to what it used to be decades ago to um, set up a studio and to be able to audition for projects and job opportunities. So um, there are various ways you can get auditions. There's online casting sites that many of us are members of that send you auditions yeah. in your inbox every day. And then there's kind of going out, beating the bushes and trying to find work through companies and, you know, directly with potential clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I read so, that your first paid voiceover job was as a PA announcer for high school football and baseball. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. I mean, uh, the first time, and the other thing I did in high school was I did the, uh, I don't know if they do it here in the UK, but the, we had a, at Holyoke High in Massachusetts where I went to school, we had students would read the morning news, like the school-related news, sometimes okay. actual news news bulletins, and I was yeah. I did that as well uh, for the school. So where, so what kind of environment were you doing that in then? Was it a proper studio? Well, you go in, you just go in the principal's office. They had a microphone set up, and they put you ah. right through the PA, and it went through <laughs> the whole school basically. And I remember I, I was doing it, and there was another guy named Sam. And uh, when John Lennon was killed, he came on the um, PA the next morning and 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 put that kind of as his lead item in this in the school news, which I thought was interesting. So yeah, I, I did that kind of work. I did um, PA for. Uh, football, just in um, American football, uh, when you move the ball down the field, you get four chances to move the ball 10 yards or more. Yeah. And uh, so what you would do is I'd say, okay, it's second down and two. So it was second down with two more yards to go before you get another down, that kind of thing. And then in baseball, there were uh, playoffs, baseball playoffs for the high school, and I would do the announcing there. So if a, a guy came up to bat, I'd say his name and uh, I'd give the score various times during the game. So it was just in-stadium announcing, but that was probably my, those were my first kind of efforts behind the mic, I think. At, at the risk of sounding contentious um, for our English listeners, baseball is basically rounders, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, I highly, I highly disagree. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> baseball is a majestic game that, uh, very hard to explain to my, my uh, British friends, but it's a wonderful <laughs> game. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I I was one of these guys, probably like you, Steve, where I had a tape recorder and I used to kind of, you know, make up my own sports matches to uh, sports games to uh, commentate on yeah. in my tape recorder. And I read autobiographies of some of the famous sports announcers that were around at that time. And I used to call into the local radio station and talk about baseball. And so even at a pretty young age, I was kind of very interested, I think, in you know, audio-related stuff and broadcasting. Today, you're you're working from a remote um, studio where you can send high-quality professional broadcast voiceovers to big clients in 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 California. Um, but you've come to this world via uh, a, a, a more corporate environment, haven't you? Is that the the yeah, route that I, you took? Uh, what did you do before? Well, it, kind of my career. I've had a varied career. After I went to Tufts University near Boston, and then after university, I went and served in the United States Peace Corps, which is like um, VSO here in the UK, uh, yeah. volunteers and service overseas. Um, basically, you spend 27 months overseas. I, I worked as a teaching English as a second language in Sri Lanka okay. um, from 1986 to 1988. And uh, it was a fantastic adventure, fantastic experience. And then when I came back from that, I, I worked variously uh, at times in education. I worked as like a supply teacher in my high school. I worked in the 
local community college as a writing tutor because I have a, my degrees are in English and classical studies. Um, and then I worked in disability services, having a disability myself. I worked in a, for the Texas Commission for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. I learned a little bit of sign language at the time. And um, I also worked in a center for independent living. But subsequent to that, I worked for about 15 years in um, local government economic development, both in the U.S. and in the U.K. So wow. and I did that for about 15 years. But in the background, for probably a couple of years before I left um, the Basel and Borough Council, where I used to work, uh, I had been thinking about voiceover. Partly, it's partly to do with my family. I've got two nephews who are actors. And one of them's in L.A. The other one's in law school right now in Las Vegas. But okay. the one that's in L.A. Uh, appeared in the film Easy A. Um, and he does voiceover and his brother does voiceover. And that got me thinking about it. And then my own brother, for a while, had done some presenting work for an ESPN show in the States. Uh, uh-huh. He did a country games thing where it was a, a sporting kind of competition, but all around kinds of things you'd see on Country File, I suppose. Um, there was some shooting involved and maybe, you know, working with dogs and that kind of thing. Yeah. And my brother presented that. So it was a bit in the family. So I'd been thinking about it for a long time. And then I decided when I decided kind of it was time for a change and I wanted to leave economic development, I said, well, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll give it, a, give it a try. And that was about four years ago. And How did you start, Mike? Well, I did a lot of research. Uh, so I read, I read a bit. I, I got some voiceover-related books. But yeah. one of the key things for me, and you know, if you ask for tips and tricks, one of the things I was going to say was uh, I found that podcasts were, were very important to me in terms of starting my voiceover business. I listen to voiceover podcasts all the time, even now. There are about four or five of them that I listen to on and off. And there's a couple that I listen to almost, you know, or there's one I listen to every week. Um, Which one's and that? that uh, that one is the voiceover body shop. Okay, yeah. So I listen to that one every week, and that helped me kind of understand the industry really quickly. It gave me a real good overview of who the key players were, the key, uh, the, the the people who are in the top of the industry, the top of their game, the different genres that are in the, the industry. And I'm a big fan of podcasts generally, and in terms of the voiceover, they've been really critical for me to get up to speed to what the industry is all about and how you succeed in the industry. What are the pressures? What are the, what, what are the challenges in doing that job for you on a day-to-day basis? Well, there's, there's actually a lot to it. You know, there, there've been a lot of challenges in terms of setting up the business. So create a studio, create a website, create a brand. But before you do any of that, you really have to get at least some skill at actually doing the job at actually being able to put together a performance or a a read of a script that's credible. I found the challenges initially in setting up, you had all the challenges of switching from being an employee to being an entrepreneur. And then you've got to set up the studio and understand how to set up a studio so it sounds right. Yeah. And then you've got to learn how to edit the files, you know, because in the old days, a voiceover artist could turn up to a studio, just do the scripts, just do their performing. And it is a, (laughs) it is a, a form of acting, yeah, so yeah. you have to do your acting, and then they could just walk out and, and they get a check and everything. Yeah, yeah, great. Somebody else does all yeah. that, but these days you have to be the uh, you're self directing yourself, so you don't have anybody in your home studio telling you, oh, you know, could you read that a little faster, or mm. you know, or read it with uh, a bit more 
bit more of a smile in your voice, that kind of thing. So you're self-directing, you're breaking the scripts down to understand how they have to be read and who you're speaking to, and then you've got to edit them, you've got to master them, and you've got to send them off. So those are all the basic challenges of the job. And then what happens now is, because there are a lot of people in voiceover now, there's a lot of pressure to get them done as quickly as possible. So a lot of people are looking for a 24-hour turnaround, if not same day turnaround. Yeah. And that is a that is a definite pressure as well. Okay. It's trying to meet the deadlines um and that that are kind of uh, part of the job. And what you hear from the, the voiceover podcast is a lot of people say ninety percent of the job is marketing and ten percent is actually doing it performing, getting paid, because it is you have to beat the bushes to try to find work. Um and that's another challenge. Uh, so I've found it really, it really has been a challenge. I'm in my fourth year and every year my business has grown. Uh, it's a, it's a long process. I think, you know, it's, um, I have a vision in my mind that I'm going to be 55 in November. And I have a vision in my mind that when I'm 75, I want to look back and say, I helped a lot of people, a lot of charities in particular through my voiceover work. So that's my, that's my overall vision. You've done work for Scope, haven't you? Yeah, this is uh, this summer. I did a, a job for Scope, the disability charity. I have cerebral palsy, which Scope was originally set up to to help with that particular disability, but now it's pan disability across various kinds of disability. And I took a short term job this summer for twelve weeks to monitor their chat room and help grow their online community. That was the general idea, is to monitor the online community and help grow it. And uh, I was an intern. It was a 12-week contract. And, but what I found was I had real difficulty kind of meeting the demands of that, that job, to be honest about it. There were, it was a lot more than just looking at the chat room. There was, you had to write blog pieces. You had to commission blogs from other people. You had to monitor their social media so there were a lot of things to the job, and I found it really difficult. And um, I ended up, I, I did half of it. I did six weeks and decided it wasn't for me. So I decided to, to kind of come back to voiceover full-time. Yeah. And it, it taught me something at the time. I, I think I didn't realize my dad, before he passed away in 2015, had said at one point that he felt like he had ADD, uh, adult ADD. And I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, I recognized that he and I have some similarities in terms of, you know, having some challenges around organization, time management, those kind of things. And after this experience with Scope, I, I really thought about it and said, you know, chances are I probably do have ADD. And I looked it up and people with cerebral palsy, like me, I think we have a higher preponderance of things like ADD as well. So in terms of like your podcast, the, the kinds of things you do, the kinds of, you know, trying to help people be more organized, trying to help people to deal with time management and efficiencies around things like emails. I've always found those things to be a bit of a challenge. And that's one of the reasons I like your podcast, because you do, you give really simple, simple, accessible ways to approach those. It has things. to be simple so I can understand it. But I think, I think simple is better in a lot of ways. And so the last few weeks since this happened, I've really thought about, you know, I've, I've decided to look at things in a bit of a different way to say, well, if I do have ADD, and I don't know if I do, but I mean, your brother's interview that you did yeah. a few weeks ago, some of that rang true for me. So I'm, 
I'm looking at some resources around that. There's a there's a book I'm reading now um, by a doctor named Douglas Perrier, which is I think it's Your Life Can Be Better is the main title. Okay. And this will tell you, Steve. This is this is. I went to buy the book. Okay, so I was reading this uh, on Kindle. I was reading a sample of it, and I'd recognized the bits of the sample that I was reading. So I thought, oh, I've read the sample before. So I said, I'll go ahead and buy it. So I went to buy it, and Kindle said, you've purchased this book four years ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I've got ADD. I don't well, know. listen, I, I had a very, very similar experience. I, was, um, I use Audible a lot, and, um, and I think the audiobooks, in fact, I'd, I'd got into Audible by doing their free trial and then right. uh, took them up on the offer I forgot to turn the uh, the bit off that charges money to your card, so I had to go and buy a couple of books, and really got into it, which proved to be um, uh, proved to be quite useful when uh, my, you referred to my brother and, and he put his book out. I was able to listen to it by by Audible, and he was doing the narration, so I had that sort of that triad of hearing my own brother's voice, knowing he's doing like what we do in the booth from a voiceover perspective, and listening to his book all in one go. So I thought that was quite that was that was an efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty I cool. That is I, cool. I no, actually, I no longer need to talk to him for six months because I've heard his voice for the last eight hours. But <laughs> um, but I I did a similar thing. I went to um, I went to order something on Audible and uh, and thought, um, uh, well, that sounds really good. It kind of sounds familiar. I forget what it was. And uh, exactly the same had happened. I I had actually previously ordered <laughs> and listened to the book some years ago. And uh, I just thought, okay, well, maybe maybe it's worth listening to again then. <laughs> So yeah, well, it's really nice of Amazon and Kindle to let us know that we've already purchased. Yeah, because I I would have bought it again. I would have had it twice. But uh, no, so I'm I'm kind of reading that book, which has some simple uh, suggestions for how to be more focused. And because uh, one of the things that I found myself is I can be incredibly focused on certain things. If I'm doing a voiceover job or editing a voiceover job, yeah. I can really be so focused that the rest of the world kind of goes away. It's almost like being in that flow state. But then the problem with that is if you have to switch gears to something else, I mean, I heard you say in the podcast the other day that when you're interrupted, it takes like 26 minutes yeah. to get back yeah. to your what you were doing. Well, when you're so focused on something, uh, that is definitely the case that it takes a while to switch gears. And, you know, with a particular job at Scope, that was the problem I had. I think there were so many things I felt like there were there were so many pieces to the job and I can't really describe it, but there were more pieces and I found that was really hard to switch gears. Whereas in my voiceover business, I'm in control. You know, there's this kind of a set. I try to batch things to be more productive. So I'll do all my auditions, all my recording, all at the same time, basically. So if I have five or six auditions, I'll do them all in one go and then I'll edit them all in one go. Okay. Because I've read several times that batching, batch processing is is supposedly more efficient, and I just find it better myself. I find if I had to switch back and forth, I'd be I wouldn't be as efficient. I'd be slower. And being having a disability, my studio is set up so my editing area and my recording area are basically in the same acoustically treated space. Yeah. So I can just take my chair, which is a off, regular office chair from Staples, on wheels and just wheel myself over to my laptop and back to the microphone. So if I do them all in one go, if I record them all in one go, then edit them all in one go and, and get them off, it's a lot more efficient for me. And that's the kind of thing, this book that I'm reading, this Douglas Per Year, has some good 
suggestions, and especially about keeping things simple. Because I know you're a big proponent of um, David Allen getting things done. But as an example, when I read it, I read a chunk of it uh, years ago when it came out. And where it lost me was when he said, well, you've got to put bucket, you know, you put a bucket for things and you put your things in your buckets. And I'm the kind of person where I would have ended up with a thousand buckets and they all would have looked the same. So I'm thinking like, I'm going to try to keep things simple. And that's what this guy suggests. So I'm looking at things differently. It's been, this is only a few weeks ago that, you know, I left that job, but it's made me think of things differently and try to think of, you know, I used to beat myself up over maybe not being as organized as I would like to be, or, you know, maybe struggling with, uh, some aspects of time management. I mean, I would say in my voiceover business, I really work really hard to make sure to hit deadlines and, you know, make sure that uh, people get a top-notch service. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it hasn't come naturally to me in terms of my life to be, uh, you know, to, to be on top of time management. And um, I used to beat myself up a lot over that. And this experience of thinking about things from an ADD perspective has kind of changed that a little bit. It goes along the lines of what your brother said, where your brother said he doesn't beat himself up um, over that. Because you can really do a job on yourself by thinking, you know, oh, I should be a certain way, and I'm not. As you say, you know, beating yourself up about not achieving stuff um, is, 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 is counterproductive. And I think part of the trouble that we have, and particularly you know, the internet and the resource we have is a double-edged sword. And this is why I do this podcast, because there is so much information out there, but there isn't really um, a good quality filter other than our own life experience to say whether that resource is any good, whether that's good advice to follow or bad advice to follow. And frankly, if you try to follow every bit of advice, you'd send yourself around the bend um, because most of it is contradictory. Um, A lot of it is right for the person, but isn't necessarily right for everyone. And I try really hard to put the caveat around, listen, I found this works for me. I hope it would work for you. I think you'll find it'll work for you, but, but you know, you've really got to try and find your own way. And what's interesting in what you've just said there is that having a different perspective on exactly the same outcomes potentially gives you a, a different frame of mind. And I found that certainly since I've been doing the meditation particularly, um, and I've been doing that for um, well, 20, 25 months, my Headspace app tells me for. That that really has helped me. Uh, they use a phrase of, you know, finding the gap between the match and the fuse, just pausing to say, how do I want to feel about that? As opposed to going straight into beating yourself up or feeling downtrodden or disheartened or whatever, and just saying, okay, well, I'm going to make my own mind up about how I feel about that because what's more important to me is is what what the outcome is. So in terms of your your activity, I mean, I've just been making some notes here while you've been talking. So you've got a website to run. You've got to manage the brand. You've got to do your own marketing. You've got to do social media. You've got to, uh, in your website, there is then content in terms of the blogs that I know you do, which I find really interesting. And then you've got to operate the business. To operate the business, you've got to deliver a product, in which case the product is your voiceovers. Um, you've got to do it quickly. You've got to be there before someone else. And I know you are a real stickler for quality. So, so you know, you won't want to yeah. shortcut the quality piece. And that means that there's probably a conflict there between how quickly can I get this out and how long do I want to edit it for before I'm happy with it. And I, I think it's fair to say 
I think you would describe yourself as a bit of a perfectionist where that, that stuff comes. Yeah, it, well, exactly. And I think that's the other thing. And when I've been looking up into this ADD stuff, I think the perfectionism, you know, I'm not an expert, but from what I gather, a lot of people who tend towards ADD probably tend towards that as okay. well. And you can over, you know, you can overdo everything to the extent where you're trying to be too perfect. And in the end, you just cause yourself problems. And what I found was um, one of the pieces of voiceover that took me a long time was editing, audio editing. Um, you have to edit things so you take out any obviously uh, any obvious mistakes, but you also uh, tighten it up so it sounds natural. And then you, but you have to take out things like if there are any really harsh breaths that come mm -hmm. into a voiceover, you have to take those out or, or you have to at least attenuate them, cut them down a bit. Or oftentimes uh, you'll end up with mouth clicks. Like when you and I talk, we don't hear clicks when we when we talk in, in normal life. But these microphones are so sensitive that you get these little clicks and pops sometimes in the audio and you have to take those out. And I found like it was taking me ages to do to de-breath uh, voiceovers and to take the clicks out. But I just went and got some, uh, you know, a new software plugin and some new software that in terms of the breaths is probably going to cut my editing time down by about 40%. So, you know, so there my, my return, uh, you know, my, my, the, the, the money that I receive per job is going to go up as a result of that because I can do more um, and do it more quickly. So it was an, it's an example of where technology and kind of making that investment, it, it wasn't even a, a massive investment because I found this particular plugin, which is a really good one, on sale and it's it's made a huge difference for me already and so you know sometimes you, you can get stuck in in a rut where you do things the same way and, and you know you, you can't seem to get out of that rut and all it takes is to either bring in another tool or, or maybe as you would say sharpen the saw to to kind of make a massive difference how does that uh manifest itself for you so as you go into a voiceover job you take on a persona or a, um, you have to have a, a certain frame of mind to deliver it in a particular way. And you've mentioned, you know, you've got some, you've got some real physical challenges that many people don't have, uh, which, of course, over your life, you've, you, that's become that's part of you and, uh, and it's what you are, and, and, uh, but, but it presents you with obstacles that, that other people don't have. Then you've got, you know, the challenge of running your own business, marketing that and so on. So when you're about to go into producing a voiceover, presumably you must have some pretty awesome way of parking all that and saying, no matter how difficult a day it's been or no matter what my challenges are in the business, I'm going to give this job my all and make it work. How do you do that? Well, I think partly it's practice. It's like that old joke they tell in the States, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And it's practice, practice, practice. But partly it's, and I don't have a practice routine per se, but it's just doing thousands of auditions. I think, you know, uh, I'm, and, and also taking classes, like I've took some, some online classes and stuff. Um, and so I'm always trying to kind of perfect my technique. So that helps. And I find like if I go on vacation or if I take a few days out of the studio, when I come back, I do feel a bit rusty. So it is partly yeah. just, it's almost like a muscle memory that you build up. But, you know, one thing I guess that's one of the key things that clients are looking for is, is conversational, natural reads, like sounding like a natural person. So 
the challenge is, is in a way is trying to be yourself um, in front of the mic. And although you're taking on a role, depending on what the script is, you've got to put some of yourself into that. So one of the techniques I use, it's more of a voiceover thing, probably not so helpful to your listeners here, but I smile a lot because smiling a lot kind of comes through in the read. And I think it makes... Uh, I think it helps make me feel a bit more natural in a way. So I, I, that's one of my little tips and tricks. But I've got to disagree with what you said. I think our listeners can take a huge amount from that last comment about smiling because I think when you smile, it changes your whole physiology. And in fact, whether the thing you're going into is, is a recording in a, in a voiceover booth uh, or a networking event that isn't something that you feel particularly comfortable with or just having a meeting with your bank manager actually taking the time to go off somewhere before you do it, look at yourself in the mirror and smile. Sounds really, really corny. You might remember Andrew talked about this as well. Um, and yeah, I do it. Yeah. I, it's the second thing I do every morning. The first thing is I turn my alarm off. And the second thing I do is go and look in the mirror and smile at myself. Now, generally speaking, um, I make sure no one's around because it does feel a bit awkward. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think that th- there is something about how it changes your physiology um, and seeing both doing the act of smiling and also seeing your reflection. But if you don't have a mirror, at least the act of smiling changes your whole physiology. And I think, you know, for people that have got anything they're going into where, um, where they want to, to do something that's going to be challenging or difficult, smiling does two things. It makes you feel comfortable and a bit more relaxed, but it also shows other people that you're comfortable and, and, and more relaxed. And in fact, there's a, there's a, a, a lady whose name escapes me I'm really sorry, I'll find it and put it in the show notes, who runs a laughter group round our way. And she teaches businesses right. to just laugh because actually, you know, getting a group of people together and just getting them to laugh changes their whole physiology and the way they do what they do. And, and it means they can go and tackle all sorts of challenges. So um, I, think, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there, Mike. You know, do, doing that in, before you do a voiceover it, there's nothing in between you and the mic, is there? It's it's in its purest form. I can hear everything you're saying and I can hear your thoughts and I can hear your emotions because we're human beings and we're tuned into it. And if you're doing that with a smile on your face, it, it changes the world. So a top tip. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, well, and it's like, I think you mentioned if, if you go into a meeting and you just smile, you know, just like um, uh, maybe not even smile at yourself in the mirror do that like you do, but then go in when you're around other people, smile, yeah. you know, just be, be kind of, um, friendly and be yourself. And, and I think that does make a world of difference. Um, there's another thing I've been thinking about, Steve, and I don't know, I just found this really interesting. I listened to it again today. There's a podcast called the moment with Brian Koppelman. Okay. Um, Brian, Brian went to my university. Uh, he was a year before me. I didn't know him. One of his claims to fame is he he found uh, the singer Tracy Chapman. She was also oh, wow. at our university, and he got, helped get her her first contract with his father. So he's one of the reasons she became a star, I suppose. <clears throat> well, he does a podcast called The Moment, and in this podcast, he talks a lot to people from various industries and you know, different kinds of businesses there's an episode, if you look at this podcast called The Moment, there's an episode, he, he talks three times, three different episodes with Seth Godin, the guy who wrote The Purple Cow. Um, the first episode, he speaks with Brian. If you can listen to that first episode, they get into some really interesting discussions about 
kind of the way our self-talk or the way we think about ourselves impacts our life and our our you know possibilities around success i suppose and they seth godin gives a couple examples there's a professor at tufts where i went named daniel dennett who's a philosopher and he's kind of well known in silicon valley i think too and he did some research and the the example seth gives is Let's say you're in a car and somebody cuts you up or cuts you off and you give them the finger and you think to yourself, oh, I was really mad, so I decided to give him the finger. So you think you've you determined that outcome. But what this research showed was that that's actually a story you make up after the fact to tell yourself that so that your yes. brain or your body decided to do that action and you made up the yes. story yeah, afterwards. Yep. Yep. So... This idea about beating yourself up for certain things, a lot of the self-talk we do might not be uh, accurate. It might not be, you know, it might be that you've done a certain action and then you're making up the self-talk afterwards to try to explain it to yourself. And the other thing that was interesting, too, is in the episode, Seth Godin mentions that there's a, a show about these screenwriters and they're struggling screenwriters, essentially. And... Seth Godin was like, I don't want to watch that show because one of the reasons they're struggling screenwriters is because they see themselves as okay. struggling screenwriters. So in the voiceover context, for instance, the common thing they say in voiceover is, you know, your first job might take a yeah. hundred auditions yeah. to do. So, and that was basically my experience. It probably took more than a hundred, but I had heard that and I was telling myself that. I know Tony Robbins talks a lot about the story and actually you know, one of his three, I think it's one of his three pillars is the, is the story you tell yourself, because you become the story you tell yourself and you believe that you're yeah, not and, good at something you, you won't be. Um, well, cause I, I thought about this in my own, my own life and I don't know if this is true of everyone, but I have a very strong personal myth that I've kind of always lived by. It took me a while to realize this, but I was born about two and a half months premature back in 1962 and I weighed a pound and a half the day after I was born. So I, in the end, I ended up being the, the smallest baby to survive at the hospital where I lived for 20 years. Crikey. Um, and I was in an incubator for, say, I don't know, probably a couple of months. And then my dad told me before he passed away, he told me that um, he, they brought me home and for 10 weeks they had to feed me like with an eyedropper. Wow. Like you feed birds with. Yeah. And he said the doctor told him that if the if the liquid went down the wrong pipe, I would die. So um, now they told my parents when I was born pick out the gravesite. So my parents actually picked out a gravesite really? for me. And my and I'm Michael Broderick. My dad was Thomas. My grandfather was Thomas. My great grandfather was Thomas. My younger brother's Thomas. Right. So I didn't get the name because and I asked my dad about. it. I said, Dad, you know why 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 aren't, why am I not Thomas? And he said, well, I wanted to pick a strong name. So he picked Michael after St. Michael, I guess. Okay. Um, but the the idea was, you know, it, it, it kind of hit me really strong that I'm a survivor. You know, so that in part is the, the myth I tell myself. But the other part of it is that I persevere. So, and it's partly the way I was raised because I, I walked around in crutches. I used to fall a lot. I mean, I've fallen thousands of times. My record... I've fallen seven times sober in one day. So seven times in one day I've oh. fallen uh, and I've done that two times. And my record after I'd been drinking was 13 times. Okay. Um, 
So I mean, I've fallen thousands of times. And so, but my parents always kind of instilled in me to be able to be really independent, to do everything myself, to get myself up and all that kind of stuff. And so that became kind of my myth that I persevere, that I get over hard things or, and it's recently I've been thinking about that thinking, you know, has that made my life harder in a strange way? Because I had a friend of mine's mother said to me once, you do everything the hard way. Um, and, and I kind of, even when she said it, as you said, yeah, I, I said, yeah, I guess you're right. But so have I made things harder on myself by doing things the hard way? Because that's part of my myth. Is that in, in terms of it, you feel like it's something you have to live up to? Well, I don't know. I, I just think I, I think I just see myself that way. So like uh, when I served in the Peace Corps, I don't know how many disabled people served in the Peace Corps, but probably not. You know, there've been about 100,000 volunteers since the 60s when it started. And obviously yeah. there've been quite a few with various disabilities, but I don't know in terms of people like me, how many served in the Peace Corps. Probably fairly rare. Like when we went for our training, we went to training in San Francisco and our country director came back from Sri Lanka to be at that training. And I always thought... Oh, she did it because she was kind of trying to figure out if I could do this. Um, and, you know, so I look back on that and think, you know, I've done that. And I'm really proud of that. Um, but when we did it, before we left Sri Lanka, we did a, a kind of an out-service training where we were getting ready to come home. And um, they asked us to visualize and write down, you know, what did our service mean to us? And I, I drew a picture of myself kind of climbing up a mountain because that's the way I viewed it. You know, I viewed it was this monumental goal that I was able to achieve. But it's just a, an interesting question is like, what does your person, what is your personal myth? And then how does it relate to who you are? I think it's, I, I think that's so powerful. And, you know, I think you, you if you, if you look at what you've achieved um, and what you, you know, the stuff you have to deal with over and above the everyday um, is, is, I, I personally, I think it, you know, it is remarkable, frankly. And, um, I think to be able to do that with a smile on your face and a real sense of perseverance. And what I like about what you're saying there is you're talking, you're not talking about the problems. You're talking about the achievements. You talk in, in terms of your achievements. It might be that you have a myth that you, you, you do it the hard way or that you have to overcome something difficult, but the language you're using is is the language of achievement. You know, I drew a mountain because it's something I achieved. And it's the same when you talk about your voiceover. You know, how, however difficult it is with voiceovers, the, the big problem with voiceovers is is no one tells you the truth. No one tells you no. whether your voiceover is any good or not. Or the only feedback you get is you either get accepted for a job or you don't get accepted for a job. And you absolutely can make your own mind up. You can concoct a very complicated story about what that yeah. means to you. Um, and, and I have to say that um, uh, the one thing I, when I was, when I was doing the voiceovers permanently full time, um, the one bit of advice I learned was a, a, a YouTube video I'd seen from Brian Cranston. And he said, the one bit of advice I give people is do your audition and then forget it. Because actually yeah. if you, if you start to think about where that's gone and start to think about what other people are thinking, um, you start to make it up. And it came home to me literally yesterday. I was listening to, I'm trying to remember now whether it was either Dan Harris um, or it was The One You Feed. My two, two of my favorite podcasts are The One You Feed um, with Eric Zimmer and, uh, and Dan Harris is 10% Happier. And on one of them, they were talking about um, uh, Eastern philosophy. And they brought up the, I think it's from Zen and the Art of Archery. 
and it says that whether or not the arrow hits the target is none of your business. And yeah. you're talking about the fact that all you can do is everything you can do to, to get the result you want. Whether you get the result or not, you can't influence it once you've let go of the arrow. And actually, no, you shouldn't even really be interested. And, and I find that really interesting when you're, when you're doing a job like you do, where no one's going to give you any feedback unless you, you pay someone to give you coaching. No one's going to actually say to you, Mike, thanks, we've got this audition. Um, we'd give it seven out of ten. And if you've done these things differently, you know, we'll, 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 we'll book you next time. And, and you, you do make your own story up. You make your own mind up about what you think people think about it. And with what you do, it's really hard not to. Because no one's, no one's given you any objective feedback. I'll bring it back to baseball. In baseball, if a hitter gets three hits out of ten at-bats, they're considered, you know, amongst the best players. So three times out of ten, they're among the top players. The, the, one of the greatest hitters that ever lived, Ted Williams, hit four... 10, I think it was. So that meant he got four hits out of every 10 at-bats. He did that in the 1960s, and nobody's done it since. And I think in voiceover, if we got three jobs out of every 10 we uh, auditioned for, we'd be thrilled with that. You'd be pretty pleased, yeah. yeah. You'd be, you know, even the top guys, uh, you know, and I could name some, but your, your listeners won't really know them, but even some of the top voiceover artists, that's about what they do. They do about three out of 10. You know, so that's the kind of business it is. So you just have to be resilient. You just have to keep going and you have to kind of think, can I make my product better? Can I make myself better? You know, my reads better, my editing better, you know, and, and it's a continual process. And the, the frustrating thing is in voiceover, you can make a lot of money, but as a lot of people say, but you can't make it quickly necessarily. No. So it does take, it takes sometimes years of, years of effort. But again, I'm mindful of what Seth Godin said you know, if you think of yourself as a struggling artist, um, you know, in his example, then you may end up a struggling artist. So you kind of have to think, you know, how can I change the d dynamic? How can I be better? How can I, you know, how can I understand the market better so I fit the market better? Um, and if, so, if you look at if you look at the um, the, the people who um, are successful in terms of life coaching, and you know, people like Tony Robbins, Michael Hyatt. Often the conversation is about having a frame of mind of abundance, that I yeah. believe I am successful. I believe, um, you know, I've achieved a lot. And that will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I'm really, I'm really signed up to this, this whole gratitude thing because, you know, I firmly believe that you and I and, and nearly every one of these listeners is in the top 5% richest people in the world, in some cases the top 2% richest people in the world. Because by dint of where we happen to have been born and the lives we lead, we happen to be in that. We hit the lottery, you know, when we took our first breath. And we, you know, in my case, growing up in the United States, in your case, growing up here in the UK, we, we already have tremendous abundance. Um, you know, I was blessed with a great family, uh, five kids. Uh, my brother passed on from cancer a few years ago, but five kids, great parents. My parents never held me back. They encouraged me to do everything I wanted to do. Um, when I was 10 years old, I took judo, um, which was interesting. I would stand wow. there and throw my crutches down and I'd grab the gi, you know, the, the, the uh, uniform of my coach and he would hold on to mine and he'd kind of walk me around the mat and I'd try to trip him and then choke him out. And, you know, but I did that yeah. at 10. I mean, 
my parents encouraged me to do anything like that, and they never held me back, and, and that made a big difference. So I feel incredibly blessed, and, you know, uh, I'm, I have a, a wonderful wife. I've got a lot of great friends. So I'm incredibly blessed, and, uh, and I try never to forget that. And we all are, like you say, by, by dint of where we're from, we are blessed. So we're already at a lot of advantages over yes. mo- many people in the world. Uh, and, um, you know, it's what we do with that. And kind of my own personal philosophy is I was, I was raised Catholic and I consider myself a Christian, although I'm not, not really religious, but my own personal philosophy for my life is that at least in terms of my work, I want to try and help as many people as I can and serve yeah. people. And that's why with voiceover, it's a bit odd because it's not the work I was doing in economic development, particularly in the job in Basildon, I was working with trying to help young people get into training and employment. So there was a lot of, uh, you get a lot of positive feedback. You can see that you're making a difference. And voiceover is a bit more removed from that because, okay, I'm reading a, a maybe a commercial or a public service announcement or a video. Am I, how am I helping people there? And that's why in my own case, I want to focus a lot on helping charities if I can. Um, as part of my work, because that's really important to me. And, you know, I just think we have to kind of um, make the most of our advantages that we have. We do. And and um, <clears throat> and I've, I've really, the journey I've been on the past few years um, have, have developed this, these techniques and these approaches to say, actually, what can I do that can reinforce the good stuff that makes a difference and to enable, enable me to do stuff with some intention? And I find that, you know, as you know, if you've listened to the episodes, I talk about my end of day journaling. And as part of my end of day routine, I write three things I'm grateful for that day. Can I just ask you a question on that? Yeah. Does that make you happier? It does. It, it, well, when I say it makes me happier, I've revisited what I mean by happy, actually, because I find that um, happiness is a, it's a will of the wisp. It's a it's an intangible thing that's really hard to nail down. And I think we attach ourselves to things that we think will make us happy. And then when we get them, the only thing that's ha- made us happy is we've made the transition from one state to another. So we've got the new car, the new house. If, if, you're, a, if you're a gear uh, nerd like you and I are, <laughs> the latest yeah. mic, the latest gear. Yeah. But, but the happiness doesn't last because all you've done is, is what we feel like is happiness is having made that transition from one state to the other. And I think that if we're constantly looking forward and constantly comparing to what we haven't got and what we wish we had, we will never be happy. Whereas actually, if you, um, I found that by journaling three times in of each day, things I'm grateful for, and these are these can be great big things in terms of you know I did a big presentation and that went really well, um, but things that I've things that um, uh, I have in my life that I haven't made happen, they're the powerful ones. You know, whether it's I've got running water from my tap, which is, uh, you know, something that many, many people in this world don't have. I have a flashing lavatory. I have um, I have uh, a choice of food to eat. And, you know, and I don't write these things or say these things to be boastful. It's to remind myself that actually it's really easy to take for granted some of the things that are so simple and we're so used to. Yet many, many people in the world don't have. And, and I find that by writing three things down at the end of each day, at the end of a week, there are, I've got 21 different things that I've identified I'm grateful for. Everything from my health 
through to my kids, through to the fact it was a sunny day today. Lisa cooked a lovely meal. And I look at that and think, Steve, how can you be unhappy when you've got all that in your life? Yeah. Um, now, that, that, that is really powerful. I mean, it's, that's the thing. It's, again, it kind of comes back. That's why I was talking about the, the, you know, your personal myth or yeah. how you view yourself. It's, it's mindset is massively important. There was a time where I was kind of unhappy and I went to a priest and the priest took out a piece of paper and a pencil and I, I knew what he was going to do. I just, as he did this, I knew what he was driving at. He drew a little, uh, he drew a very tiny square on this piece of A4 paper and he said, what do you see? And I knew where he was going and I kind of said, oh, well, I see all the white stuff around it because that's where, that's where he was driving yeah. at. But the thing is you can get yourself down and you can focus rather than a, you know, an attitude of abundance and gratitude, you can end up with an attitude of lack and, you know, uh, kind of um, frustration. And you have to be really careful because you can let that kind of overtake how you feel and maybe who you are in that moment. And I think what you're doing there with those 21 gifts that you remind yourself of every week is really powerful. Um, what I really love about your podcast, probably my favorite thing is the line you say at the very end. Um, you know, it's about making yourself better than you were yesterday. Because a few minutes ago, you were saying, well, if you project too much into the future or project backwards into the past, you know, that's not going to get you anywhere. But if you make yourself, if you try to just do a little bit more tomorrow than, than you did today, then that, that is really uh, powerful in and of itself. And that's really important. And I love that you say that every episode. Well, I, I, you know, I, I make no claim that anything, anything in this podcast is original. It's all, you know, it's all stuff that I've, I've learned or, or experienced or found somewhere else. But what you've just said there, and, and you put it much better than I have, you know, to project too far into the future is self-defeating. You, you really will, the best you'll ever achieve is be clear in your mind about how far away from your goal you are. And until the day before you get to that five-year goal, you are still not achieving your goal. Whereas actually, if we think about, well, what did I achieve today over yesterday? Where's the movement forward? If I start measuring, not measuring the gap, but measuring the progress. And actually, if I can just be a little bit better than the person I was yesterday, if, if I'm going to compare myself to other people, there will always be out someone, someone out there who is much better at what I do um, than I am. And there will always be someone out there who is less good than I am. There's no point comparing yourself to other people. All you'll achieve is sadness. Yeah. Well, years ago, I used to do that a lot. I used to like either think back about things that I wish had gone differently, or I would think about, oh, well, in the future, I want to be here or there, or uh, I don't do that much anymore. I, I don't do it either way, really, because it, it, it is a recipe for sadness. I think it's not a recipe for positivity because, you know, the grass can always look greener somewhere else. But it's a little bit, it's kind of false, really, in, in a way. And it, it really is about kind of making yourself better. But I like the in, incremental approach that you kind of, um, you know, you're, you seem to be a proponent of. You know, what you did with, with your wife with her laptop to have her, um, you know, it was a struggle for her to get started. So just maybe the first instance, just kind the of put steps. it near where you yeah. are. That's important, I think. And, and and now she's so confident she keeps coming on to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And she's great. She's great. <laughs> um, 
Uh, she is good, actually. So I'm mindful of coming up on the hour. I've written a few things down here in terms of what you've done because we talked about some of the challenges. And I don't know if you're aware, and, and I always find this really interesting, but the stuff you've talked about is in this conversation, the advice you've given is to batch things so that you can focus on the right thing at the right time. Think about the resources around you and you've identified books and you've identified books and podcasts as being great resource. Allow yourself to flex and stop. Don't beat yourself up um, if you're not perfect. This one I really love practicing and you talk about it in terms of auditions. But I think what we forget sometimes, no matter what we do for a living, whether like me, you're employed by a company and work in a corporate environment, whether you work for yourself, whether you work with the public or in an office, everything you do every day is an opportunity to practice. And just seeing that, that I'm doing this thing and can I do this thing with some intention because tomorrow I might be a little bit better at it. I think that's a great idea to use the auditions as practice. Yes, you're auditioning for a job, but actually I am practicing at what I do as well. So I think that's fantastic. Um, you've said uh, smile is just perfect, you know, and, and I think in your situation, smiling before you do an audition is fantastic, but it's great advice for people uh, no matter what they're going into, they're going to find challenging. You also talked about breaking things into steps because you talked about taking the script that you've got to work on and breaking it down into how am I going to say this line? How does that line meet the next line? And actually taking that approach in any project or any task that we've got on, once you break it down into the tiny steps, then it becomes so much more achievable instead of um, a, great big, uh, a great big task to do. Um, you talked about smiling, again, in your frame of mind fantastic stuff around the story that you tell yourself and just being conscious about what story am I telling myself today and how how is that going to help me or potentially how is it going to hinder me? Well, yeah, and, um, and I think maybe, you know, ask yourself, is the story you tell yourself, is it accurate? Is it the, I, you know, I've lived with this idea, I suppose, of being super independent, um, you know, persevering over, over things, but that's just... That's just kind of my my myth, but is is that the way to live? You know, I might look at it differently now. I might say, oh, I might I might see the world differently. Maybe not try to force myself so much on the world, but have the world come to meet me more. You know, and that could change the way the rest of my life is. But it's worth thinking about that question because I think everybody, maybe people aren't like me, but I recognize that I had this kind of operating system, as it were. Um, you know, in that episode, that podcast episode got me thinking about that a little bit. And I think it's it's a worthwhile question to say, you know, how, how do I view the world or my place in the world? And is it accurate necessarily? I know I bang on about the meditation, but for me, it's a big thing to be able to say, I recognize that my brain is doing that thing where I beat myself up about the progress I've made or the or the result I've got. By recognizing and just gently being able to step outside of it and saying, okay, now I recognize my brain's doing that thing. I'm going to decide to think differently about it. And that is so powerful to be able to decide for yourself what your story is going to be. So what, what, what a final tip could you give our listeners? What have we not yet covered? Well, I, this, I mean, it's a, a really recent thing, but just as far as a, a little tip, I know I, I listened to your um podcast the last couple about goal setting and you went into some you know do you use a paper-based system or do you use an electronic system okay in my own life i think i prefer paper-based systems yeah but 
but they don't work for me because I can't carry stuff around very easily. When you're walking on crutches, your hands are always full. Okay. And it's, is it, so, it's a, so it's a frustration. So with the paper-based planner, that would be my choice. But I can't really do that because I, I can't carry it around. So I'd have to keep it in a backpack, which doesn't do me any good. And I prefer either daily planners or I like the bigger planners. I, I can't get away with the – I need to see stuff visually. I can't get away with yeah. like really small things that will fit in my pocket. So, so what I came upon recently was um, I've been using Google – to do shopping lists. So if you go into Google and you say, make me a shopping list and, you know, your microphone's on, it will make you a shopping list. So you just say, uh, you know, bananas and apples and whatever, and it's, it will put them in the shopping list. And then it puts the shopping list into Google Keep. So the other day I had the thought, well, if it does a shopping list, it must do a to-do list. So yes. I'm doing a to-do list on Google Keep now and I've got it set up on my phone because the phone is the one thing I've always got with me. So yeah. it's in my phone. I use Google Calendar. And then I've got Google Keep now on my iPad and my PC. So that's going to be a system that works for me, I think. And it's got like um, Google Keep does it as little post-it notes. And you can make them different colors as well. Um, so as a little tip, I found that really helpful. And, you know, I've bought loads of planners in the past, all different kinds, paper ones, electronic ones. And here is Google Keep for free. That seems to be it's going to work for me. So, Mike, I'm, and, I, that, that's my learn from our conversation because I've never heard of Google Keep. What is it? Is it an app then or is it? Well, yeah, it's, it's, you'll find it on your PC. I don't know if it's on Macs, but I know there is an, uh, there is a, an app on the, iPhone, on the iPhone or iPad for it. Okay. So you can create a, a note or you can... Uh, copy web pages, uh, you know, web links and that kind of thing. Or uh, I suppose you could even put, I think you can put pictures in it, but you can definitely uh, create, like you can use your microphone on your phone to talk and it will, uh, if it's a thing like a shopping list or a to-do list, it seems to save it in Google Keep. And where does it, where does it put that then? Where does that sit? Is that in your calendar or... Well, no, well, you can. Apparently, uh, you know, and I'm just learning it myself. This is only yeah. within the last week or two that I've done this. What, one of the things that you can do is you can put a reminder in Google Keep, and I haven't figured out how to do it on your, with your voice yet, but you can do a reminder, and the reminder actually goes in your Google Calendar. So, you know, it's probably worth having to play with it and see. That's fantastic. Because I, th I think it has some of the same... Uh, I forget which app you always kind of mention. That's one of your... Is it Noseby? Noseby, uh, yeah. Yeah, Noseby. Noseby. So it sounds like it has some of the same kinds of capabilities of, as Noseby, I think. But it, it's just, for me, I think it's going to really work because I need something I can have with me at all times. And I found like the um, Google Calendar, for instance, I'll put stuff in it. I don't necessarily look at it a lot, but I can attach uh, alarms to it. Okay. So... You know, so I won't forget. So, like, I've got the dog. We've got a dog. And, you know, I put things in, like, when she needs her flea treatment and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so I may only look at the calendar a couple times a week, but I've got reminders on certain things or alarms or, you know, something is going to pop up and show me that this thing is in the calendar, which really helps me. And That sounds fab. The, yeah. And so that's my, my little tip for um, for electronic stuff. And then the only other thing I wanted to say, it's at the end of my bio in my website, but it's my favorite quote, I think, 
um, it, amongst my favorite. I, I would say it probably is my favorite, but Ralph Waldo Emerson, and I'll probably get it wrong because I can never quite remember it exactly, but he said, uh, what, um, what lies behind us and what lies before us are small matters compared to what lies within us. Wow, that's, uh, that's impactful stuff. And I, I kind of believe that. Um, uh, you know, I think, and it goes along the lines of what we're talking about, projecting backwards and forwards. And, you know, what really matters is what's inside us what, and what you're doing with your podcast, trying to get people to be a better version of themselves, uh, even incrementally, is, is great. And, um, you know, and I appreciate being able to talk to you. Where can people find out more about you in terms of what you do? Uh, what are your website addresses, your social media, that kind of stuff? My website, uh, well, my business is Mike Broderick Voiceover, and my website is mikebroderickvoiceover.com. And uh, yeah, I'd encourage people. I'd love it if they go and have a listen to my demos and hear what I sound like. And if I can help in any way, let me know. My main social media outlet that I enjoy the most is Twitter. And um, I'm at Mike Broderick VO. People, people can find me there at Mike Broderick VO. So you're at Mike Broderick VO, and the website yep. is MikeBroderickVoiceOver.com. Fantastic, Mike. Listen, I'm really, really grateful. I'm sorry that we've um, we've run over, but uh, I've got a lot of stuff to uh, to capture there. It's been great talking to you, and I think that um, there's a tremendous amount of stuff for people that uh, that can can uh, take the time to listen to us. So I really appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you again, Steve. Brilliant. Thanks, Mike. Well, thanks again, Mike, for joining us and sharing your experiences and your tips and ideas. I'll put links to Mike's website and social media in the show notes. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the episode and you're not already a subscriber, head over to iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use and hit subscribe. And if you don't use a podcatcher and you listen via the website, click on the subscribe page and it will take you to where you need to go. That way you'll get each new episode fresh into your inbox as it comes out. I'm off. I'll see you next time for episode 22. And in the meantime, don't forget, don't waste time comparing yourself to anyone else. The only person you should aim to be better than is the person that you were yesterday. Bye bye.